When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This episode of Barca Talk is sponsored by Audible. Get a free 30-day membership at audibletrial.com slash Talk, or follow the link in the notes for this episode. Today on Barca Talk, Ernesto Valverde has been renewed for another year, and we ask the question, if not Valverde, who would you rather have manage? Barcelona Femini suffered a loss that dashed any hopes of winning the league, and an accusation of racism begs questions about the Femini manager. FC Barcelona's first team won three points in La Liga, but primo football, it was not. And now the news. Gerard Piquet made his 300th La Liga appearance on Sunday against Valladolid. He's in the top 10 list for most Barcelona appearances in La Liga, but he's still behind Busquets and the most capped current player, Leo Messi, with 440. The return of Samuel Umtiti remains an open question. The French defender was in full training last week, but Valverde left him off the squad for Saturday's match with Valladolid. Umtiti hasn't played since November, and his recovery from knee injury has been ongoing. He told RAC1, I'm good, and it's not long now until I can play. UEFA has opened an investigation of Real Madrid defender Sergio Ramos after he admitted to getting booked on purpose against Ajax last week. The card he received leaves him out of the return leg at the Bernabeu, but would give him a clean slate should Real Madrid progress into the quarterfinals. Though he later walked back his comments from the mixed zone after the match, UEFA has chosen to investigate the matter, which could result in one additional match ban. UEFA will announce their decision by February 22nd. And finally, Barcelona have announced that Ernesto Valverde has renewed his contract. The deal extends Valverde's stay in the manager's office through 2020 with an option to extend an additional year. We'll dig into that a little bit more in just a moment. All right, this is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York. And joining me, as always, is Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How are we doing, buddy? We're doing well. You know, I, I, I went full kind of radio morning morning radio host for a second there, you know, in Madrid. It's Gabriel. Is <laughs> <laughs> that guy. That I'm doing guy, well. Um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a nice week in Buffalo. You know, a lot of interesting weather events, uh, a lot of ups and downs in so like it'll snow and then the next day it's warm. So then all the snow melts, but then it gets cold again. So the leftover stuff turns into ice. Everything's very slippery. Uh, the last week was good as far as teaching and school and uh, getting things done. I do have an announcement, actually, because I hit an important deadline on a project Friday morning that I want to tell you and all the listeners about. Uh, you knew about this ahead of time. I told you this a few weeks ago, but it's uh, it's official. I have been contracted by a uh, small publishing company here in Buffalo, New York, to write a book about FC Barcelona for a fifth grade li- like school library market. Yeah, that's very cool. You told me about it a couple of weeks ago, and we were pretty excited about it. So I think it's going to be awesome. Are you going to have like a protagonist like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Bricky, the FC Barcelona, I don't know, <laughs> soccer ball or something like this. <laughs> that's up to the design team. Uh, that's above my pay grade. Uh, they just, but it's really very simple. This this publishing company they specialize in series of books that are um, geared towards anywhere from K through twelve uh, reading levels, and they market almost directly to 
you know, elementary, middle and high schools and their libraries. So they like you could find their books on Amazon, but that's like the the general public is not really their their market. They're trying to just get books in libraries. So it's going to be it's like five chapters. They they've given me an outline, the editorial team. So I have a lot of things to work with. And on Friday morning, I sent them the initial my initial assets, let's say, you know, it's like mm-hmm. topics that I'm going to cover in each chapter, some some fun fact boxes, some sidebar topics, and it's starting to come along. And I'll, my deadline for the, the book is in late May. I don't know when the book is going to actually be released, but I I will have a I will have a writing credit under my belt writing about FC Barcelona in the near future. That's really cool. I can't wait to check it out. So and, uh, you know, read about it and see what you come up with. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's going to have a lot of history. Uh, you know, we'll talk about more recent things more often than not, but going to talk a lot. I've been learning more and more about Gamper and the mm-hmm. early days of the club in my research. And, uh, yeah, just trying to like think of what are all the photos we want in this? I mean, we, there's tons of photos. We, of course, we're going to talk about Cruyff a lot. We're going to talk about Guardiola. going to talk about La Masia the you know the academy and all that so it's it's really exciting and i hit that deadline on friday so that's what's new with me what's new with you what's happening in madrid not much man um yesterday i went out with for some kanyas yesterday so i was thinking of you we went to la latina which is a really cool uh district south of the center with the old time uh city of madrid basically and it's just it was bumping yesterday because it was one of the first days that was sunny all day with like good weather like temperature was so i was there with a bunch of friends and we were there pretty much all day all night and that was so that was a lot of fun but that's about it brian i mean i'm just uh just teaching the english here and just getting through the week man yeah just living the life yeah (laughs) (laughs) well so we mentioned in the news segment how valverde has renewed his contract this is uh something that we want to discuss in some depth today for for this episode yeah, I mean, this kind of came up to me for a, a bit of a surprise, you know, because I know they had been talking, but I didn't know to what extent they were going to extend him. I think it's kind of a win-win for both parties, you know, because it's kind of a one-year extension off what he already had. So it's kind of, we don't have to commit to too much, too much. you know, it's not like a five-year extension or something like this. But, um, you know, I don't know. I'm. It's funny because on one hand, there really isn't like a hotshot manager that I would want to come in. But on the other hand, I'm kind of been disappointed with what he's done for the past years, you know, just the style of play, what we've done. I mean, you can't argue with the results he's won, but I don't know how much that is with just the team talent as opposed to his managerial. And again, I pose the question to you, Brian, what other options are there out there opposed to the Valverde coming for another two years or so? Right. Well, yeah, you mentioned to me off air you mentioned Kike Setien who's currently at Real Betis and it's funny I I checked his Wikipedia page and it's already been updated to say that in January of 2019 he was linked with FC Barcelona <laughs> yeah and I gotta say it's fun to watch Real Betis play because they're just they go full attack they don't worry too much about defense they're just out there mm-hmm. to put on a show and they get some pretty good results out of that if the club decided not to extend Valverde's contract. Um, yeah, who who would we be looking at? I think Setien might be an interesting case. But then again, in recent history, I checked into this. The most successful managers that we've had in the last many, many years, at least going back as far as Rijkaard, have all been former Barcelona players. Even Valverde played at Barca for, I think, one year. So there's something about that you know uh, having a pedigree so to speak having played on the team and been at the club as a player and understanding the culture of the club I think seems to help you know uh, Luis Enrique for whatever our complaints were about him he won a good number of trophies in a fairly short period of time he got good results you know there was that unfortunate year under Tata Martino where you know he's this Argentinian and he seems to have all the right ideas but he comes to Barcelona and the whole season was just bad he did win a Spanish Super Cup though <laughs> in, that, in that in his tenure right but then you go back before him and you know even Tito Villanova who you know his time was short and he had of course all of his health issues 
and which ultimately led to his um you know his unfortunate passing but he was Pep Guardiola's assistant and of course there were the Pep years and before that that was Frank Reichardt he played at Barcelona for many years so there is a historical aspect to this where it seems like recently the most successful Barcelona managers have some pedigree some previous relationship with the Barcelona philosophy the style you know that that ideal that sort of emanated and started with Cruyff and then gets passed down to Guardiola and related things so for me if I were looking at someone else aside from Valverde I would be interested in looking at Eusebio because I think he's been doing some really good work at Girona he was also at Real Sociedad I liked what he did there and he does have that. He has like serious dream team credentials, you know, playing under Cruyff. He was one of Cruyff's favorite players. So if if it weren't Valverde, I would be looking to to Eusebio to see if he'd be interested. You know, it's funny because, you know, back when Mourinho came to Real Madrid in that kind of era, there was all these kind of hotshot managers that were on the rise, right? You know, Mourinho, Pep, and all these other managers that were around Europe. And now lately, it just doesn't seem that there's this new crop of managers. Now with Eusebio, I don't know if it's going to fall into the same trap as Valverde as too small to be at a big club because, you know, as we've complained a lot, especially like over this past weekend that we sometimes believe that Valverde is too small time for Barcelona, just his mentality, the way he approaches the team. Now I think Eusebio is an interesting candidate because when you put that on the docks, I was like, Oh, I didn't think about that. I think it would be interesting because he does have a lot of managerial experience he understands La Liga, and he does have the Barca pedigree. So it could be an opportunity for him to have that opportunity. You know, they might give it to him. But again, like, if you think outside of La Liga, there isn't really other managers I can think of. Maybe Pochettino, if that. But still, he hasn't won anything. And I don't know if he's ready for the big time. You know, because Barcelona, not only is it a big club worldwide, but also it just sucks the life out of you. I mean, have you seen, for example, Valverde in press conferences and so forth? He just looks so just stressed out all the time you know yeah and even when they ask him basic questions like he was doing uh you know a lot of times here in spain they'll do midweek conferences like at a shopping center and they kind of do like a combination of um the shopping center with barcelona and fun questions it has nothing to do with anything about the game this week or anything like this and they were asking him questions about var and real madrid and he just you could just see the stress just like come over him, just answering a question about that that has nothing to do with him. But he, you know, in his face, he just looks like, I thought this was just going to be, you know, what's your favorite food type yeah. of question. You know? no say. <laughs> exactly. Um, so again, it's, it, you know, as you said, it's a very interesting thing because the managers that have had success have had some Barca pedigree. But again, it's kind of, do you take a chance outside of that? Because they have managerial experience and they don't know the Barca way, or do you always just want to look to the Barca? Now, I think this is kind of the best of both worlds right now for the moment, because I think it's not a long-term commitment. It's just one more year. And again, we'll see what happens with this month, especially going through this gauntlet of games, you know, so far, you know, as we've harped all season and last season, I just don't know if he's learned from his mistakes from last year with the Roma debacle. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the only, the only way to know is to wait and see at this point. But exactly. we, we also got this response from a listener about this that I think is a, a good perspective. And a, he really gives it good context. This is from Mehdi in Morocco, who's, ha- who's happy about Valverde's renewal. He said, I think he's doing well in general. In important matches like Sevilla, Chelsea last year, the Clasicos, we really can see his work except the Roma loss, right? And the most important thing is the atmosphere inside the club. He doesn't have any problems with the players, and that really matters. Yesterday's match was awful, like all Barca matches before Champions League, but we got the three points, and that w- that's what matters. In the second half, Valverde did the right substitutions. We didn't receive any dangerous occasions. We could keep the ball more. We created a lot of occasions, but Suarez missed all of them. And in the end, everyone is blaming Valverde. Every team passes by this bad period. Even in Guardiola's era, we used to struggle in February. And for the Lyon match, I'm trusting my team. This year, we play Champions League matches with a different spirit, and I hope we see that next match. So thanks for that, Mehdi, because I think he really kind of encapsulated a larger perspective on it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good message. But, you know, again, I just want Valverde, you know, personally, like what I would hope is to take like 10% more chances on the team and trust the team, you know? So, for example, let me just give you this. This is just kind of a microcosm of who he is as a manager, as a person, as a personality, okay? So I think it was announced, what, Wednesday or Thursday that he got the extension, right? Yes. So they have training and the team does the pasillo for him, like for him to pass through to congratulate him. What does he do? He says, no, no, I'm not going to go through. And he just doesn't go through, like not even to have fun with it. You know, he's just like, doesn't do that. So that just kind of tells you how it is, right? Like he is, like Medi said, like he doesn't have problems in the locker room with the players. You you know, you don't ever hear that like we did with Luis Enrique and maybe other teams and other managers like Mourinho, for example, in Chelsea or Manchester United. But again, it's having that ability to man manage, right? I just don't know, especially in Barcelona with there's so many superstars, you have to be able to man manage appropriately. And like in this moment, the cameras were on. All he had to do was just run through. They were going to like smack him on the butt (laughs) and just, you know, just go through that, you know, and just have fun with it. But if you watch the video, there is video of it. He says no, and he just walks off the training ground. And it's like, what? Like, come on. That really takes the steam out of things. Yeah. And like they were (laughs) just doing it. Yeah, exactly. And they were just doing out of jest, out of fun. Like they were, they wanted to do this kind of, you know, and celebrate Tory kind of thing that he got the extension and have fun with it. So again, like I said, you know, I've also read in Twitter, you know, it's be careful what you wish for. And I agree with that. You know, we, we complain about Valverde's tactics and these things, but they're very minor in the whole thing. He's done well with the team. He's had winning records, just like many said against the Classicos. He has a good record um, against Chelsea, these type of teams, but it's just this extra push of managing the team in the toughest month of the year. And again, as we saw in yesterday's performance and so far in this month, we just don't have the confidence that we were rolling through when we were rolling through in November, for example. Yeah, that's that's true. And I was also thinking something about how um, – well, I read an article uh, on Thursday or Friday uh, shortly after the extension was announced that the support he had from the dressing room was actually a big part of why he got the extension. So it's not just that he – basically gets along with everyone apparently the team really likes him like everyone in everyone on the squad likes working with him um you know maybe now that he's rejected their attempts at fun and a paseo <laughs> maybe they're rethinking that but i doubt it but he seems to get along with with everyone there's a good feeling but i do think that you're right he i would suspect that he does sometimes maybe lack that kind of intense motivation because we've seen footage of Guardiola in the Man City dressing room from that one documentary on Amazon and man he he just gets you know he always does the opposite you have a good game you win he points out your flaws (laughs) and he and he motivates you that way you have a bad game and he encourages you he's like I I mean and we don't know what Valverde's like in the dressing room with his team talks but you just kind of get the sense that he's like yeah so um that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, uh, he's done well. He has an overall really good record. He hasn't had any problems with the team. So you have to take that in consideration. That's really hard to do. I mean, just look in comparison. If you look at Barca's last six years and Chelsea's last six seasons, the, the amount of chaos that's been around with their different managers, the board, the players, and all these different things. So it's a really difficult thing to navigate in a big team with such super egos all around. And Valverde has done that. But, you know, as we talk about all the time, we just want that 10% more of just taking chances, that 10% of just being more electric, you know, just trying to get even more out of the players, especially, you know, in February, March, where this always happens every year, you know, this is going to happen. And again, we take the comparison of how Madrid is playing lately. And to us, you can kind of see maybe, you know, at the beginning of the season, they were playing awful, but they've, you know, they've tailored it now where they hyper-focused for these next two months. And you would think that Valverde, especially going through last year with the Roma debacle, that he would have learned more. And we'll see what happens at the end of this month, like you said, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of, okay, that's great because it's only one year. And, but on the other hand, it's a safe bet as well. Yeah, but you know, stability can be very important also. You don't want to be switching out managers. I mean, for us, every year or two to switch out a manager would be pretty frequent. I mean, there was a period in there where Barcelona were changing managers frequently and we didn't win a whole lot. So 
he's getting he gets good results uh, at least most of the time. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know what? Like we lost the Champions League last year. He won a double. That was pretty good. And we're you know we're going up against Lyon in the next round of Champions League, which I don't think Champions League is ever easy. So I don't think those games are going to be easy, but I do think that we're going to be able to get through the next round. We're looking good in the Copa del Rey. Uh, well, we're halfway through a uh, contentious tie with Real Madrid and Copa del Rey. We'll see how that goes. But the league is looking pretty good. And yeah, Saturday's match was uninspired without feeling. But, <laughs> but, but you know, overall, we're getting good results. And I think that stability should be highly valued and he's there he's not he hasn't given us any reason to can him yeah 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 so stay the no, course, i agree you know yeah i agree i mean you have a good point there with the stability again i just you know i just want a little bit more electricity sure. that's it sure. you know just a little bit more feeling sure sure <laughs> but you know that's not can't have happen. everything right yeah you can't yeah. have everything you're not gonna get it so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right now i want to uh shift a little bit and i just want to give a little shout out to alex in the baltimore area he is a supporter of the show on patreon and he's been supporting since march of last year he was an early supporter when we started using patreon and he signed on at the top tier of support so alex i hope you're enjoying the show and your barca talk mug and beverage cozy and your sticker and your magnet and all that now you can support the show too at patreon we have bonus episodes every week. We have commercial-free versions of the regular podcast if you happen to be in one of those places where you do hear ads on the show. And we also have fun merchandise for supporters. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go straight to patreon.com slash barsatalkpod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash barsatalkpod. Here at Barca Talk, we like to keep you updated on the B team and the women's team. This week, the project of the women's team to win the league for the first time since 2015 may have to wait another year. And the aptitude of their manager, Luis Cortez, at handling sensitive subjects is under serious scrutiny by our women's correspondent, Michelle Taylor. This week has really not been one of the best for the Barca women. A win that felt like a loss when accusations of racism came to light and a loss that really did feel like the end of the world because it means that the Liga Championship is now a dim possibility and also out of the team's control. For week 20, the team headed to Madrid to play Rayo Vallecano. The first half was played at a high tempo with Barca in control and pinging the ball around the pitch. The reward came in the 15th minute, Alexia scoring from a cross by Andrea Pereira who was playing it right back for this game instead of her usual centre-back role. A minute later, a carbon copy assist from Pereira, this time found Lika Martins, who scored her sixth Liga goal for the season. Thirteen minutes later, Mariano made it three in the net, and Barca went into the break with a comfortable lead. By the 62nd minute, all four Barca subs were made. Yes, the Spanish Women's League allows four subs, and I've never really been able to find out why. The last sub made was Alexia off for Azizato Schwala, the Nigerian making her first Blagrano appearance. And what a start it was! Twenty seconds after coming on, and with her first touch of the ball, she scored. Haida Hamraoui, playing from behind the halfway line, lofted a beautiful ball to Oshwala, who was able to slip the two defenders to nudge the ball past the Raya goalkeeper. Amazing play. From there, the game was pretty much over, at least from a results perspective, but more drama was to come. At minute 71, Andresa Alves was fouled by Sheila Garcia. It was another foul in a long line of Rayo fouls that had gone unpunished, and several Barca players, including Andresa, protested that the offence should receive a card. The ref was having none of it and called for the ball to be played. Suddenly, a furious Andresa broke out of the group and ran towards Sheila Garcia, getting into her face as she railed at the Rayo player. Several Barca players tried to hold Andresa back and keep her away from Sheila. At this stage, the ref did show a card, a red for Andresa, and the Brazilian left the pitch, very angry and clearly upset about something other than the foul. In his press conference after the match, U.S. Cortez was asked about the incident. He replied that Andresa had been racially abused and that the matter would be investigated. He also added that he didn't approve of Andresa's overreaction on the pitch. Andresa went to the referees after the match to also state that she had heard Shayla say, "Effing foreigner, go back to your own country.'" Her complaint was noted in the referee's match report. It was also noted that none of the match referees had heard the comment being said. 
Raya Vallecano acted immediately. Shayla Garcia tweeted, To clarify what happened, it's not going to tarnish my image. I never racially insulted the Barca player. She also commented later that what she had told Andresa was that she should shut up and keep playing. The Raya Twitter account then added, Our player categorically denies having directed racial insults to Andresa Elvis. In Vallecas, there is no place for racism. We have always fought against it. We wish you luck, Barca Femini, and congratulate you for today's win. Raya then issued an official communication, denying racist comments, decrying Andres's overreaction following the foul, and condemning U.S. Cortez for his after-match comment, calling it a lie. Whoever writes Raya's official statements has a gift with words, with every sentence they piled on the punches, stating that Cortez and Andres's behaviour was far from the values of the club's shield that they represented, adding references to Cruyff, the clean game, and Barca's history in the football world. That statement, as over the top as it was, is a thing of beauty. As a Barca fan, it punched me in the guts. So over to you, FC Barcelona. Let's hear what you have to say about this. So we waited. And we waited. The official Barca Femini Twitter account was tweeting as if nothing had happened. But more noticeably, all the players had gone very quiet on social media. Two days later, Barca released video of U.S. Cortez and Vicky Lozada talking mainly about the next game versus Sporting Huelva. What little was said of the Rio incident was along the lines of it's natural for Rio to support their player as we support ours. And, for us, the matter is closed and being dealt with internally. The matter's closed? It's being dealt with internally? What does this mean? A very serious accusation of racism has just been made against another team's player, and not just any player. Raya has fought very hard to eliminate racism and discrimination from the club, and Shayla Garcia is one of the main club ambassadors to promote the cause. If Andresa was racially abused, FC Barcelona would need to open a case with the Spanish Football Federation to have it further investigated. There's no indication from Barca that this will happen. If Shayla Garcia was wrongly accused, then she and Rayo are owed an apology. Again, there's no indication from Barca that this will happen, or if this had taken place. The club's silence means that it's likely that no one else heard what Andresa reported. That she was the only player to give a statement for the referee's match report looks as if no other Barca player could back her up, otherwise they too would go on record as witnesses. For me, the biggest blunder in all this came from U.S. Cortez. The coach, who has a degree in public relations for heaven's sake, should never have mentioned that Andresa received racist insults in his after-match interview. If he had simply said something like, we'll be investigating the incident to see what happened, the reaction would have been far less than it was. Instead, he poured gasoline on the fire, and it blew up beyond control. The Spanish media had a field day with the topic, and it even reached some English media. In my opinion, Rayo Vallecano has come out of this affair as the better club, something that pains me as a Barca fan. It's one thing to scream about values, equality, yada yada, but to get the basics wrong time and time again is just unnecessarily inept. We need to be better. I find myself saying this more about the club these days. With Copa del Rey semi-finals being played the following weekend, week 21 of the Liga Iberdrola would be played midweek, and Barca played Sporting Huelva at the Miniestadi last Wednesday. Huelva is never an easy opponent, and I'll come back to how they've impacted on Barca for three of the past four seasons, in which we failed to win the Liga. Back to the game. Azizata Schwala started and blasted the ball into the net in the 17th minute. She really is making an impact. But that's where the score remained at half-time, despite all the Barca efforts on goal. Huelva's goalkeeper, Sara Sarat, is one of the best in the business, and she always comes up big when playing against us. We really had the game under control, until U.S. Cortez made two subs at the 58th minute, bringing in Mariona and Aitana for Claudia Pina and Natasha Ondanova. As play restarted, Stephanie van der Graaf sent back a soft pass to goalkeeper Pam Tohona. Too soft, too slow, and a lurking Raquel Fernandez pounced on the ball before Pam could get to it, and, just like that, the score was one all. Two minutes later, Uelva won a free kick, the ball went into the, into the box, and Stephanie rose to defend it, only for the ball to bounce off her head into the net. It was a disaster. In two minutes, the Dutch centre-back, our Dutch centre-back, had given Uelva the lead. Barca then went to pieces and lost concentration. Uelva was sitting back and defending. Then came the killer blow. At the 66th minute, Ewitz Cortez made another double substitution, 
taking out our two left backline defenders, Melanie and Stephanie, and replacing them with Mappy and Alexia. So that left us with three in the back line. It was a huge mistake because a minute later, Uelva had their th- third goal, taking advantage of Barca being one defender short and exploiting the right side from where Mel and Stephanie had just been removed. The ball came in from the right wing and Florencia Bonsegundo scored. We were now two goals down with 24 minutes to play. Oshuala scored her second goal of the game in the 84th minute, but even with five minutes added, Barca couldn't find another goal to salvage a point. Game over. Our unbeaten streak over. The Liga over. What a disastrous decision from Cortes to replace two defenders at once and go for a three-player back line. That's the type of thing to do after the 80th minute if you need to go all out to get a win, not in the 66th minute. His decision meant that the team had to find two goals just to find a draw, whereas if he'd stayed with four at the back, we only had to score one for a draw and two for a win, and there were better odds for us to be able to do that. So we're now six points behind Atleti, and there's no way that they're going to lose two games from the nine games left in the season. Another season, the fourth in a row, in which the Liga has been prioritised, but not won because of silly errors from an often underperforming squad and coaching bench. And here's how Sporting Huelva has contributed to Barca's demise in three of the past four seasons. Back in the 2015-16 season, four years ago, a one-all draw, with Huelva scoring in the 90th minute, cost Barca the Liga. Athletic Bilbao won by one point. Last season, another one-all draw with Uelva saw Barca lose the Liga to Atleti by one point. This season, we've lost to Uelva, which sees us six points adrift and in a leaky boat. Our only chance of salvaging any silver this season now lies with an extremely slim chance in the Champions League if we can overcome LSK Gavina in the quarterfinals to then probably play Bayern Munich in the semi to get to the final where the opponent will likely be Lyon or if we've managed to beat Atleti in the Copa del Arena semi-final, a game that was played after I recorded this segment. What a frustrating season this has been. However, Visca Barca e Fossa Barca Femini. That was Michelle Taylor. Follow Barca Women on Twitter for regular news and updates on the women's team. The round of 16 in the Champions League has already started, with Real Madrid visiting Ajax and leaving with a 2-1 win. Tottenham beating Borussia Dortmund 3-0 at home, PSG shutting out Man United with two away goals at Old Trafford, and Roma getting a one-goal edge on Porto at home. The first leg continues this week with Juventus visiting the Wanda to play Atletico Madrid, Bayern Munich facing Liverpool and Anfield, Man City versus Schalke 4, and of course Barcelona will travel to Lyon for their first leg. The French side may be operating at a serious deficit in manpower. They know they're going to be missing Nabil Fekker to suspension. Fekker is Lyon's joint goal-scoring leader with Moussa Dembele. Each have seven goals in all competitions this year. There are also doubts about the fitness of Tongoy Ndembele and Jason Denaye. Ndombele is a central midfielder and a regular starter. He has the most caps of the squad. He scored two goals and made five assists, but he missed Lyon's last game with an ankle injury. Denaye is another key part of the Lyon side, a centre-back with 30 caps this season and fourth in minutes played. He was taken off after 60 minutes in Lyon's last match, and the club are awaiting test results to see if he'll be fit to play Barca. In the Barcelona camp, injuries are less of a problem. We've been without Umtiti since November, and the pairing of Piquet and Longley has been working out pretty nicely. With Vermalen in the wings and the signings of Murillo and Toribo, we're not hurting for centre-backs at the moment. Our midfield has been shaken up by Arthur's recent injury, having worked himself into the squad as a key player this season. But this could prove to be a good moment for Carlos Alenia, who gave a good show on Saturday against Valladolid. Lyon is having a decent season. They're sitting in third place on the league on table, despite being 13 points back from PSG in first. In the Champions League group stage, they only managed one win, defeating Man City 2-1 when visiting Etihad Stadium but drawing the rest of their matches to go through to the current round. They scored 11 goals in total in the group stage, and the Lyon manager, Bruno Genesio, showed a certain flexibility in his tactics, sometimes playing three at the back, sometimes four, but nearly always in a more defensive posture. If he goes with a back three against Barcelona, he will most likely load up the midfield with five. Now that they've reached the knockout phase, though, draws won't do the trick as they did in the group stage but it might be enough to settle for a draw in front of their home crowd in this first leg. Barcelona's history against Lyon is good. On the few occasions they've played, only six times in history, 
Barcelona have a record of four wins and two draws. That record goes back to 2001. The last time the two teams played was in 2009, when Barcelona knocked Lyon out in the round of 16 with a 6-3 aggregate score. It would not be a stretch to predict that history is going to repeat itself this time. All right, now let's talk about La Liga before we get into the Valladolid match. Just uh, generally, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, which is that Real Madrid lost 2-1 to to Girona at the Bernabeu. Casemiro scored for Real on a header off Tony Cruz's cross after a corner kick. Later on, Sergio Ramos picked up a yellow card for a handball in the box, gave up the penalty, and Stuani put it away. Ramos later got a second yellow for dangerous play and got ejected, but prior to that, Porto had scored Girona's second goal. So that's always fun when we win and Real Madrid loses, even though they aren't, they're not right on our heels. But it's just always nice on a week where we win and they lose. I agree. I sent you this message, right? Because I was having a – remember I always talk about the 4 o'clock vaunted start time? Mm-hmm. This, this, this was 12 o'clock. Ooh. Even worse. <laughs> Even worse. They're just Even rolling worse. out of bed. Yeah, they are. Seriously. I was just telling – I was telling my friend when we were watching the match or at the – having a coffee, I said – Who's even at this match? <laughs> That's what I would say. But, uh, I mean, yeah, of course, great news, especially the way Madrid has been playing lately. They've been on a run. So to get a loss here kind of stifens their La Liga kind of chances. But, man, um, you have here next on the notes, Atletico won one nothing. Man, Brian, I watched part of this match. I don't know what was more brutal, paint drying this match or the Barca Valladolid match. <laughs> we should run a Twitter poll on that. Yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, it was. It seemed I only saw the uh, highlights, and I'm using air quotes there <laughs> of the Atletico <laughs> or Real Vallecano match. But you know, there was that one goal that Griezmann managed to sneak in. You know, they eked out three points just like us. And Atletico is in a very similar position as Barcelona right now. They have Champions League to worry about. It's also February for them. They're at that point in the season as well. So it's and they're going up against a a fairly weak side in Rio Vallecano. Yeah. And also they have this week, they have Juventus. So obviously they can be more focused on that match. That's going to be a really good champions uh, home and away for that one. I'm definitely going to be reading for Atletico just so that Cristiano could have some failure there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, this is another Madrid derby. You know, Vallecano is in the south of Madrid and Atletico. Um, but again, this game was just absolutely brutal. They were just going back and forth and Griezmann was able to get a deflection on a goal, which sure got the game winner. But again, it's a good weekend because we still keep our distance between those two Madrid teams and especially going into this week for the Champions League, you know, we were able to get the win. But um, Madrid's teams, you know, they're still because we have such a lead right now. They still have to play perfect to catch up to us. Right. I mean, but uh, it's still competitive. Atletico's seven points behind. Real is nine. And there are still uh, 14 matches left in the league. So it's it's a good lead. It's a comfortable lead. But it's definitely still competitive. And, of course, in the league, we still have games against those two teams coming up. And we're going to be at one of them. Correct. We're going to be at the Atletico match. That's going to be the good one, man. But, yeah, yeah. There's, it's still competitive in there. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's just, again, we the important thing is, you know, with the league is to have a good start, maintain that start. And again, these teams have to play perfect to catch up, and it's it's almost impossible just because on paper, Madrid should have beat Girona in the Bernabeu, right? They were up one nothing, they had the lead, but if you know when you have Ramos, chaos can happen, right? So they lost the match, and that kind of staggers them back for La Liga hopes now, right? And Atletico is the same way; just the style of play they play, they don't put a lot of goals on the board. They're more defensive. They have to play perfect, as we saw, I think, last week where they lost. So again. We were able to maintain our play, you know, in the early parts of the season to maintain that lead. And that's going to help us for this next two months for sure. Yeah. And I know that you're often pointing out uh, or you're trying to call out the fact that Sergio Ramos is not that great. And I think this is the match that would make for a, a good support of that argument. Right. I mean, he he. <laughs> he got he he gave up a penalty and then he committed some other foul that got him ejected. So it's one of those situations and again they're playing they're playing Girona. Yeah. You know, which is are actually you know a good team. They're playing some good football this year, but they should have been able to again on paper, they should have been able to see that one out especially at home. But here's this guy, you know, who's often referred to as one of the best defenders in the world just making 
stupid mistakes, giving up penalties, and then getting ejected. I think he's the most overrated defender in the last 30 years. Wow. By far. Yeah, <laughs> because he has scored so many important goals in Champions League for Madrid that that takes a lot of you know, precedence for him as being a defender. But if you just look at defending as just a whole, him compared to Godin or Piquet or John Terry, for example, I'd rather take all those guys against Ramos because if I'm looking for a 1v1 matches on the line, those guys are going to deliver for me more and more than Ramos, you know, just his track record. He's just not that's fundamentally sound. He takes a lot of chances. He gets a lot of cards. I mean, he's, I totally think he's overrated. And again, like you said, in this match, he, he's such a hothead. He could just lose it so many times. How many times in classicos has he lost it? You know, and that's the moment where like you that's really part of have his job in a classico. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, it's like how many times does he get a yellow card in the classico? Like almost every time. Right. And you can really rile him up. And again, yes, he has scored ultimate important goals for Madrid and champions league. And that's why it stands out, you know, the final against Atletico, uh, other goals, game winners, game tires, this type of thing. But that has nothing to do with his defending, you know, right. For me, exactly. Like Diego Godin has been the most solid defender in the last 10 years in La Liga. Now the next person I would take is probably PK, right. But as just a solid defender, defender, it's Godin, but Godin never gets any credit, right? Because he doesn't score these amazing game winning goals in the champions league, you know, Ramos does. And again, just look at his track record. How many yellow cards he has in La Liga? He's the leader, all-time leader. Oh, yeah. That's, that's part of his game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, looking ahead at the rest of our schedule or the next four games, including Champions League and Copa del Rey, you know, we've got Lyon, but then next weekend, Sevilla, and then Real Madrid in Copa del Rey, and then Real Madrid in La Liga right after that. So we do have four high-stakes matches coming up in the next two weeks yeah i mean hopefully we you know we can step up uh our track record the last two years with valverde has been you know with important matches we've been able to step up we concentrate harder we focus we press we do better passing so one of the big things without our tour in the lineup that's really definitely hurting us so we'll see how we can step up our game because again we are depending way too much on Messi, Brian, Yes, going forward. So we'll talk about that in a second. But again, like you said, these games, this is going to be a hard two weeks for sure. We've been, we've been harping about this all season, all season. Yeah. Yeah. This is the moment that we've been talking about and waiting on. <laughs> yeah. But so let's, let's drill down into the Valladolid match. So we're talking about La Liga. This was on Saturday, match day 24 at the Camp Nou. And the result was a one nothing win. It was a quiet game from pretty much every angle. The team was quiet. The stadium was quiet. The first half was, for the most part, a good chance for a nap. But again, as Mehdi pointed out, this is often what you see before a Champions League match midweek. And they only have two days of rest because they played on Saturday. The Lyon game is on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, everyone was on rest right yeah <laughs> <laughs> everyone was on rest i mean i was when i saw the the lineup coming out you know i was a little excited because obviously elenia was going to get the start so as we talked about giving some young players an opportunity to come through but again um you know what is the deal with vidal ryan <laughs> i mean this this is my my quick contention about this like he was able to be a stopgap in the beginning of the season, you know, in the October, November. And he did okay. You know, he didn't do great and he didn't do bad. He made passes and he understood to just give the ball to Messi and does that. But comparing him to Rakitic on that side, Rakitic is so much better. He's so much more comfortable with Hidal's passing accuracy. And also, like, he's not a defensive stopper either. And he doesn't make these runs or through balls. He's just giving the ball to Messi. Basically, he's just another conduit to give the ball to Messi. But man, when Valverde finds someone that he just loves, you know, this happened with Paulinho last year. But I, at least Paulinho was scoring goals. Yeah. All right. Paulinho delivered. Exactly. And, you know, with Vidal, when you see him out there, you just, what is he doing? What's he doing out there? He was playing for Valladolid. He was, <laughs> I think he made more successful passes to Valladolid players than he did to Barcelona players. You know, when I think of Vidal, I don't think of touch and go. No. I don't think quick feet, you know. And, you know, in the midfield, you need to have that attribute, even though you're a tough player. Even Mascherano, right? Mascherano was not the quickest of feet, not the best touching, but he understood the philosophy enough to always go back and to drive the ball and to switch. 
And Vidal just doesn't do that. You know, even on defense, if you say, okay, I want him there as a defensive stopper to be there. He still doesn't do that either. How many times did the ball, did the attack or the run of play go on his side and he didn't do anything? You know, it just kept going, kept going through. Yeah, and I think he had probably the most ham-footed touches. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's tricky. It's it's between him and the and in the few minutes that Suarez had on the pitch. But I think overall, I think Vidal had the most ham-footed moments. But my favorite ham-footed moment was actually the shot that Boateng took, where he had all the time in the world. It was just rolling to him. No one was shutting him down. He he stepped up to it like it was a penalty kick, and then he just skies it like he's trying to hit a home run. He called his shot you, like Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah. Did you yell out? Did you go ham 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 ham? ham. <laughs> I did write in all caps on my on my stat sheet. Ham foot. <laughs> it was the most I mean, spectacular. It was the most. It was the single most impressive ham foot of the match for me. <laughs> Brian's ham foot of the, the, the game award goes to Botang. Yeah. Yes, that would be a nominee for the award. You know, I, well, before we start recording, I told you that I wasn't able to see this match. I recorded it and I watched it this morning and I couldn't even make it through. Yeah. I mean, it was, like you said, this was a match where you could take a nap to. You know, this was going on. Now, before we go into a little bit more match review, I just want to go over some of the headlines here of the newspapers. Sure. Right? So, my favorite one so far was. Tres puntos y gracias, which is three points and thanks. Yeah. So obviously just the sarcasm flowing from there. <laughs> the other one was triunfo sin feeling. So triumph over, you know, without feeling. And the other one was despierta Barça, wake up Barça. Yeah. So those those headlines right there just kind of tell you the the overall feeling of the match. I knew this was going to be difficult because, you know, how Valladolid played us the first time. They had confidence because they were right there in the match the first time, you knew it was going to be difficult. Obviously, just like Mehdi t- uh, talked about before in his um, in his note to us about how teams perform before Champions League matches, this was going to be a super difficult. But for me, it was just the overall feeling of the team and, like you said, the crowd. It was. It seemed like they were playing a training session. Yeah. Even the singing. When, when, <laughs> when groups of fans would start singing, it was sort of like... Yay. <laughs> like even, even when things went well, they, they, PK wins a penalty. The crowd is still like golf clap. No, yeah, that's all. <laughs> so did you, did you have any uh, questions with the lineup? Did you have any, I didn't have any questions. I was happy to see, Boateng start in fact we talked about Mm -hmm. this uh, when the lineup was announced we were happy to see Boateng starting I wasn't totally sure about putting Suarez in at 60 minutes for Boateng but I think I understand that Valverde's uh, substitutions had to do with you know giving Suarez Coutinho and Rakitic just some time to work you know keep their muscles moving keep things going Uh, you don't want to rest them too much because then you get kind of paralyzed a little bit so you know making sure they get out there and stretch the legs before Lyon. But uh, I was very happy with the uh, the lineup overall. I felt like putting Vermalin in instead of Longley made sense uh, in, in just general rotational terms. I did think that maybe PK could have maybe not played, but, you know, he was an understandable choice. If you're going to put Vermalin in, you also want PK. The other yeah. alternative would have been Vermalin and Longley, but Valverde went with this one. And uh, I I liked that Alenia started, and of course Busquets and Vidal. It was one of those things where like I think I understand what Valverde is trying to do in starting Vidal, but I didn't think too highly of the choice. Yeah, I mean I I agree. I mean the thing is, I just I want to see Malcolm like for this type of match. You know, I think he would have brought something. I think he's so direct and physical enough for this match, especially having you know, Dembele, Boateng, and maybe Malcolm up there, and then putting Messi as a midfielder, maybe something like this. I don't know. But um, again, it was really great to see Alenia get the start. He did okay. He wasn't great, and he wasn't awful either. But again, for me, just Vidal in, in the midfield, he he's just not that good anymore. And against lead, he should be able to impress a little bit more, and he just doesn't. You know, he gets overwhelmed at times. Again, as we talked about, his passing accuracy is awful. Yeah, well, you know what's weird is just the squad, never mind the actual starting 11, but the squad, 
that Valverde signed up for this, he only had four mid- proper midfielders. I mean, if you yeah. if you count Coutinho as a midfielder, maybe five, but he really just had Busquets, Rakitic, Alenia, and Vidal in the squad to begin with. Meanwhile, you know, he had six defenders, which seems about right, you know, but mm-hmm. Sergio Roberto got the start versus Semedo. But yeah, he didn't even bring that many midfielders. He had he had six attacking players, Messi, Dembele, Coutinho, Suarez, Malcolm, and Prince Boateng. So I feel like the squad itself was a little imbalanced and uh, yeah. kind of shot it, shot the midfield in the foot there. So like this is, this is kind of goes back to the thing is, you know, when you have this type of lineup, then a 4-3-3 is just not good enough for this lineup of depth that we have at this moment. You know, maybe going to 4-4-2 and just having Messi in the midfield and then having two people up top. Maybe that's something you have to change or see. But again, again, maybe just having Semedo play right back and Sergio Roberto play in midfield, maybe that would have helped a little bit more over Vidal. I mean, I, I would have felt more comfortable with Sergio Roberto midfield over Vidal just because of the connection he has on that right side. He understands the movement. He understands how to play with Messi and those type of things. But again, he just loves Vidal, man. He just loves his physicality for some... I mean, I understand physical midfield is something. But when you're in a 4-3-3, you need midfielders who are more nimble and able to run a lot and give and go. When you're in a 4-4-2 or 4-5-2 or, you know, or more crowded midfield, then you can have a physical midfielder in there because he's not taking up opportunities from other midfields. But in a 4-3-3, you need a Xavi Iniesta, these guys that are constantly moving and passing and going, and Vidal just doesn't fit the bill. No, he doesn't. And it's not like Valladolid is an especially physical team. They weren't they weren't playing us really hard. It's not like we were playing Atletico or some team some other team of bruisers, right? They're actually trying Valladolid is actually I kinda like watching them play. They, you know, they've got some nice suave stuff going on. They just don't quite have the quality. But like that one kid, Sergi Guardiola, he actually had a pretty good game. But yeah, it's not like Valladolid it's not like we need that physical presence from Vidal against Valladolid. It would have been Better, I think, to play Sergio Roberto in the midfield to give Rakitic the break still and, the, you know, let Semedo start right back. But then that gets into the lack of depth that we have in the fullback positions because, yeah. you know, you still got to think about Tuesday. You got to think about Leon. Semedo has been getting more time, so that's good. And he's been improving. That's good. And it seems like he's probably going to be the first choice against Leon. With this lineup... To me, it was just shouting, like I said, a one nothing to one type of victory going forward. Now, as I always told you, like if you are killing it in the match, it's so much easier for you, right? If you're winning three nothing, four nothing, then the matches is really easy. I I just want to see, you know, in this type of game where we don't have a really good midfield because we're lacking in depth, then put Messi in midfield. And I'm using quotes, right? right. Just put him in midfield because he's going to go wherever have- he needs to go. Exactly. But then have the front two or the front front three to be there and then have Messi distribute. Because again, how many times did you see how many times when Messi got the ball and he was cornered by three via the lead players? Because they knew the other players weren't going to do anything. Right. And that happened all game long. And so they were frustrating Messi. If you had three guys on top of that, then all of a sudden via the lead can't cover that way because Messi could just pass around that. It's just these little tweaks, right? You know, and I understand like the four, you know, as we talked about four, three, three, four, four, two, but it's just knowing in these moments when your players are healthy and who's going to do the best job for you and putting them in the best positions to get the, the points. And also just to make it easy because on paper, there's no reason why we should have a one nothing victory against via the lead at home. Right, right. Now, I do want to mention because you, you said that Elenia played like pretty well but maybe not great i do think that of the 11 he had the most energy he was he was the one player who wasn't sleeping in this match you know he came out he was awake and he i thought i thought he made a great case for himself to be playing more he's just young you know this is all new to him you know it's great (laughs) it is great you know but at the other hand you know we just need everyone else to kind of grab a hold of his energy you know because you have the one player, that's great. He has a good work rate. He's moving around. He's making those passes. But if on the other end, when he makes those passes, everyone is sleepwalking, then it does no good, you know? Again, I think, you know, with the way we've been playing against via the lead, like you said, it's just all these factors coming into it, right? Playing against Leon on Tuesday, 
you know, we know this is a tough month. They're saving themselves. You could just see it. You could just feel it on the TV. And again, I'm just concerned about just how Valverde is just using the lineup and analyzing what he has to get these points. Again, he did get the three points. That's awesome. That's great. He was able to do that. But again, as I always say, I just think there's always a better or easier way to get those three points where you can maximize your team and maximize the energy of your team. Yeah, but to shift the focus away from Barcelona for just a minute, you also have to hand it to Jordi Massip, actually former Barca B goalkeeper. But man, he had the game of his life in this match. He made at least three incredible saves. And he actually won man of the match on BN, even though he was on the losing team. He's mostly responsible for keeping the scoreline at one nothing. I mean, we had a lot of shots. Messi himself, just by himself, had, I think, 17 shots. And Masip saved some of those. I think there were three or four. And then the other ones, uh, Messi was just a little off target. So he was off his game as well. But then, I mean, like there was that moment when Boateng was in. He was in on goal. And the way that Massip came out, he actually like, I mean, I think Boateng maybe made the wrong choice in trying too hard to get around him. But the way the Massip shut him down was fantastic. And then there was also the... The moment when Suarez in the 65th minute, he had a point blank shot, but Massip just, again, just swore, he smothered him. And then Messi's shot on the second ball went straight to Massip. So, I mean, Jordi Massip had an amazing, amazing game. And it made me think, you know, if Sillison really is going to look for, you know, being the number one goalkeeper at another club, we we have in Yaki Pena, who's kind of like the uh, the charmed B goalkeeper at the moment, but he's still young. I would say, you know, maybe con- maybe reconsider bringing Jordi Massett back as Ter Stegen's backup. Yeah, but does he want to come back? That's the thing. I mean, well, he's, he's a start. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, you had you point out some really good saves, but for me, it was the penalty kick save. The, yeah, just all that action he did. You know, not only did he save it, but then Messi had an opportunity to follow up with it, and they just one handed saved. Yes, that was <laughs> just like, that was his highlight. Yeah, for sure. that was his. That was just, I got this ball, get away from me type of moment, you know? And so, you know, he did have an awesome match. He made some crucial saves. You know, it's it, and this match was a combination of just bad finishing and good saves. Right. <laughs> you know, like his positioning was great on most of these kicks, and it was just really bad finishing too. So the mixture of those really highlighted how good of a match he is. But again, you can't argue with the stats. He was the man of the match for me as well. Again, just the amount of saves and his presence, because, you know, it easily could have been a 3 nothing game with some of those, if the conversions would have been a little bit better. Just on those two penalty on the penalty save like if Messi makes that that's two nothing then also maybe we look at this game a little bit different yeah and finally I, or I think this is the last note that we have for this match is about how well PK has been playing this season and he's he's the one that we have to thank for the goal in in some sense I mean Messi put it away and actually the goal that Messi did score on that penalty that was a very well taken penalty into the side netting perfect placement that was gorgeous but PK's um I wouldn't call it acting, but it was more like enhanced. <laughs> it was augmented reality. <laughs> I like that. Like he got fouled in the box. It was a righteous penalty call. But PK certainly brought it to the referee's attention. Yeah, with a lot of arm flailing. Yeah, you know? and Whoa. he's a big guy. He has long, <laughs> yeah, lanky yeah. arms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, especially in the last couple of matches, he's definitely been our best defender, and he's definitely you know held the fort back there. But this match... For me, I think he was Barca's man of the match. Uh, just the way he was able to be solid. He won the PK. But again, when he's focused and wants to play, you know, to me, he's one of the top five defenders in the world by far. Uh, with his ability to read the game and his ability to make those passes from the back are just, it's awe-inspiring to see that. Because, you know, the thing is, that's such a difficult, you don't ever see other center backs do that. That's why it's a really difficult thing to do. I mean, just look at example, David Luiz. <laughs> Right. I mean, this guy, <laughs> this guy's a PK wannabe, and he cannot do it. So, again, for me, PK was the man of the match on the Barca side, as we talked about. Uh, Jordi was the one for value to lead. Again, he is super crucial when he's lined up with Longley or Umtiti. They are such a good battery back there with Ter Stegen and then Busquets up the middle. So, again, uh, and also this was his 300th La Liga match in a Barca kit. So, right. congratulations to him. Yeah, he just has you know 140 to go. 
As- assuming that <laughs> Messi never plays again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, of course, Chavi's up there at like 769. But still, a great milestone for PK. And I, I think he took advantage of, of that milestone in this match. You know, he, he had his dreams of being a center forward moment a couple times here and there. And there was, of course, winning the penalty with flair. <laughs> I just love his arms flailing. He's like, whoa. No. He just like got shot, you know? <laughs> you know, there was definitely a scream in there. Yeah. So that's the funny part. But again, you know, PK is so he's he's such an experienced center back. He's seen so many plays. Obviously, playing against Messi in practice. I mean, I'm sure that definitely helps as well. But again, when he is super focused and into the match, there's nobody like him. He is solid as always. And also just the communication he has with Terstegan as always. Again, Ter Stegen, another shutout, which is huge. You know, he wasn't under fire so much as the previous games. But again, when called upon, he made the saves that he had to. So again, the team just doing enough to get the three points, which again, you cannot argue with. But we just want some more style, some more pizzazz, because that's why we're Barca fans. You know, we don't want just the uh, up and down one nothing victory from week to week. We will have... Barca because of the tiki-taka and, of course, the amount of through balls and amazing plays we had. There was opportunities all over for Suarez, but he just hand-footed all over the place when he came in. Yeah, well, actually, uh, yeah, I'm going to be that guy. (laughs) Um, Actually, no, there was one and only one moment, and you didn't see this, but there was one moment where Coutinho and Suarez were linking up beautifully tiki-taka style and that was actually the play that led to the second penalty that Jordi Massip saved that was the really the only actual bright moment in terms of play and it didn't last long it was you know <laughs> it was like a firework but yeah. it was up and it was down <laughs> but but it was brilliant <laughs> it was done in a second I mean again we you know Barca plays so many matches and we demand a lot of them because they're such great players. And I know it's difficult. You know, we, you know, you never have your top A game all the time. I don't either at work or whatever, right? And they can't either. But my biggest complaint is I just want to just, you know, in these matches, you know, ins- use the young players, get some inspiration, get some, like with Elena, get some more youthful legs in this. Again, we are able to get the three points. I just, I'm just curious to see, especially these next four matches, how it all plays out if we get hyped up for these matches and maybe it was just a, a bajon, just like that we were under because we were playing via the lead who are not really doing anything this year, you know, and we will see how Valverde holds this. You know, this is really crucial because we want the treble and I just want to see what the team can do because I cannot stand it. If Madrid wins the champions league, I will, I will cut my, my wrist, Brian, <laughs> not literally, but you know. I'm in complete <laughs> denial. I'm, <laughs> about the possibility of Real Madrid winning another Champions League in a row. I just I can't I can't even accept it as a possibility. I mean, I know that it is, but I I choose to deny that. I'm not saying that we're going to win it because, you know, there's some good teams in there and, you know, you got to see how the draws work out and a lot of things can happen, but it, I just can't believe that Real Madrid are going to win it again this year. <laughs> No, I, I hope not, especially with all my Madrid friends around here that love Real Madrid. So I, that's just I just can't have it. I'd rather, you know, have another team win it. And, you know, so they can't have those bragging rights. So we'll see. But again, we had a tough game this week. Leon, I really hope they are focused and I really hope Alverde has them going for it. I, you know, I want to kill Leon. I just want to get this over with on this first leg and just really show the dominance of what Barca is. Yeah. Go to Leon. Score a bunch of goals, put it to bed, play some primo football. <laughs> I love it. Primo football. Hashtag. That's the plan. <laughs> All right. I, are you good? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Uh, again, if you're a Patreon supporter at the $6 a month or above level, you can hear a bonus episode on Thursday where we'll give you our emotional reaction to whatever happens in the Leon match. Mm-hmm. 
special thanks to Michelle Taylor this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners. To see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support, follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. Visca Barca! Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.